Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, Atlanta police label those behind efforts to stop a proposed public safety training center as outside agitators. But that narrative is being challenged by organizers within the movement opposed to the facility. I'll speak with one of them. Plus, will a group of skydiving seniors headed to South Georgia break a state skydiving record? We'll find out more as we talk about skydivers over 60. All that's just ahead. But first, some news from earlier today. The family of 26-year-old Manuel Tehran killed by gunfire at the site of Atlanta's Public Safety Safety Training Center say an independent autopsy reveals a lot more than what investigators are so far concluding. Now, this press conference held early today between the attorneys and family members. Brian Spears is a civil rights attorney representing Tehran's family. We should note the following does describe Manuel Tehran's fatal gunshot wounds. According to the autopsy, the wounds indicate that Manuel's left arm and hand were raised when Manuel was shot, with the palm facing the front of the body. Manuel's right forearm and right hand were also shot. The gunshot to the head would have killed them instantly, but probably, in the words of the report, not before they were able to raise their hands and arms in front of their body. Attorney Spears went on to say the independent autopsy reveals a whole lot more. Manuel was shot so many times and by different firearms that the tracks of the bullets running through the body converge and intersect. That means that the same parts of his body were shot by different officers. The autopsy identifies 14 separate gunshot injuries. Belkis Tehran is Manuel's mother. I'm asking for answer to my child homicide. I am suffering for my right to, do, to this answer and that I have not been given and I des- deserve I deserve answers. Now, prior to the press conference today, last Friday, the GBI issued a statement regarding media reports of this autopsy. And the statement reads in part, quote, the GBI did not conduct Manuel Tehran's autopsy. The autopsy was done by the DeKalb Medical Examiner's Office and not the GBI, as the report stated. The GBI continues to work diligently to protect the integrity of the investigation and will turn our findings over to an appointed prosecutor for review and action, close quote. WAB News will have more later today during All Things Considered, hosted by Jim Burris. 
In other news, FEMA and the U.S. Small Business Administration are set to close applications for financial assistance to those Georgians impacted by the tornadoes that hit the state back in January. Dormaya Vance reports there's only a week left to apply. FEMA is providing grants to homeowners and renters in the disaster-declared counties who experienced any losses as a result of the storms. FEMA officials say the funding can help families make repairs to their homes. They're also recommending anyone impacted should also apply for a disaster loan from the Small Business Administration. These loans are long-term and are open to business owners, homeowners, and renters. But SBA officials say residents should register with FEMA before applying. The last day to submit an application for FEMA assistance is March 20th. Dormaya Vance, WABE News. And federal officials for now... Well, they're not renaming Georgia's Lake Lanier and Buford Dam, both names that come from one-time Confederate soldiers. The pause comes in response to objections by some local residents and elected officials. Lake Lanier was named for poet Sidney Lanier, who once served as a private in the Confederate Army. Buford Dam is named for a railroad president who was a Virginia militia officer in the Civil War. Georgia Congressman Austin Scott says officials who choose new, who chose new names for the local military bases didn't intend to rename the lake, and local officials warned new names would be confusing. Grady Memorial Hospital is celebrating the opening of a new outpatient facility today. It's an expansion. It's expected to significantly increase clinical space at Grady and help handle patients from a recently closed hospital nearby. As we hear from WABE's Jess Madar, Grady is the only level one trauma center in Atlanta. The 10-story Corel Pavilion offers outpatient services once offered at Grady's main building, including outpatient surgery, cancer services, and orthopedics. Hospital officials say moving some patient services to the new facility opens up needed capacity at the main building. It's expected to expand Grady Hospital's clinical capacity by 45% and also make more space for the operating room. Grady is close to the former site of Wellstar Atlanta Medical Center, which shut down in November. Grady has since absorbed a chunk of AMC's patient volume, and officials say it's also seeing more patients from the South Metro, where Wellstar also closed its East Point Hospital last year. Fulton and DeKalb County officials are expected to attend a ribbon-cutting ceremony at the new outpatient center. Jess Mador, WABE News. A Cobb County property is on its way to becoming a new starting point for a trail along the Chattahoochee River and a piece of a much bigger plan for trails in the region, as we hear from Molly Samuel. The nonprofit group Trust for Public Land bought the property in Mableton. The site is part of the Chattahoochee Riverlands Project, a plan to build trails along 100 miles of the Chattahoochee River as it passes through Metro Atlanta. According to Trust for Public Land, this is the first of about 25 regional trailheads for that project. Currently, the plan for the property is to add a kayak launch, a playground, picnic benches, restrooms, and a parking lot, in addition to walking and hiking trails. The group will eventually turn the property over to Cobb County Parks to manage. It's expected to open to the public in a few years. Molly Samuel, WABE News. And finally, the Kennesaw State men's basketball team will make history when it plays in this year's NCAA tournament. A crowd gathered alongside the Owls last night, and they went wild with the announcement of their selection during CBS Sports Selection Sunday show. Okay, the number three seed in the Midwest region, the second team out of the Big East, the Musketeers of Xavier, who went to the Big East tournament final before losing to Marquette. They will play out of the Atlantic Sun, the 14th 
State, Kennesaw State Owls. <laughs> Going to their first ever winning season in Division One. First time they'll play in the NCAA tournament, and the Owls are ready to roll. They are ready to roll. Great confidence, and they are excited about being here, obviously, and that's a comfortable matchup for them. Let's go Owls. Just a few years ago, Kennesaw State had a season in which they only won one game. Wow, what a turnaround. But not to be outdone, the UGA women's basketball team is headed to the big dance in their respective tournament. Coming in as a 10th seed, the Lady Bulldogs will play Florida State this Friday, and that game will take place in Iowa City, Iowa. Best of luck to both teams. Let's go, Howard. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. A week ago yesterday, organizers opposed to Atlanta's proposed police and firefighter training facility hosted a public music festival in a nearby park. On that same day, police allege a group of protesters split off to vandalize construction equipment at the training center site. Now, APD reports 23 protesters were arrested for allegedly damaging construction equipment with bricks, rocks, fireworks, and Molotov cocktails. All 23 are facing domestic terrorism charges. APD Chief Darren Schirnbaum addressed the arrest later that night. I can tell you just looking at the initial reports, we continue to see a number of individuals not from Atlanta, Georgia, that are present tonight uh, undertaking criminal activities to destabilize uh, the construction of a fire and police training center. Now, this isn't the first time local law enforcement agencies have labeled many of these protesters as they call it, quote, outside agitators and say they're driving the fight against the training facility. But activists within the movements are challenging that narrative, as well as what took place the night of the music festival. Joining me now to talk more about this is Paul Torino, an organizer with one of the groups opposed to the building of the training center. The group is Defend the Atlanta Force. Paul Torino, welcome to the program. I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Rose. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Let's begin here because earlier today, as you heard from a press conference, Manuel Tehran's family filing a lawsuit against the state of Atlanta while also sharing results of an independent autopsy that they say conclude Manuel's hands were raised when when they were shot. Your thoughts as this news is now coming out? Um... Yeah, well, th- thank you for highlighting this. Uh, you know, this is, is somewhat uh, intense and upsetting uh, news. Uh, upset- upsetting, of course, as it has been since uh, January 18th when when the killing took place. Um, but also just to, you know, to hear details is kind of rough um, as, yeah, I'm sure anyone would agree. Um, in any case, I, 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 I also feel, I feel grateful for this autopsy report coming out at this time 
partially because uh, I think it vindicates something that a lot of us knew, a lot of us highly suspected would have been the case, uh, those of us especially who knew Tortuguita. Um, you know, it, from the beginning, it seemed uh, the police narrative on this seemed uh, highly dubious. And I think we're beginning to see that that narrative, that, that spin that they've put on it kind of uh, unravel. Mr. Torino, did you know Manuel personally? Um, I, I did. I, I knew them as Tortuguita. Um, and so that, that's how I'll refer to them. Sure. Um, but uh, I, I did know them, yes. Tell me about them. Um, I mean, they were, they were, you know, kind of very serious organizer, you know, they, uh, they, they were very dedicated, especially to mutual aid efforts is, is how they would, they would definitely have framed it. Um, you know, making sure everyone there, uh, living in the forest had, you know, medicine they needed, had food they needed or uh, other accessibility, um, you know, concerns that people may have had. And, and this is something that they had a lot of experience in from their, their time in Tallahassee doing um, disaster response organizing in Florida um, or, or um, organizing with unhoused uh, uh, people in Tallahassee, making sure they had food, making sure they could get access to driver's licenses or IDs or birth certificates or things of that nature. Um, and so they were, they were very seriously committed to these dynamics and to making sure that, uh, you know, uh, people of color in the encampments felt felt welcome and safe as well. Um, they they were playful. They were they were you know well beloved. Um, and I mean, as you can read in interviews uh, that they conducted before their killing, they also were you know they 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 were like a nonviolent activist. The things that they concerned themselves predominantly with were you know food, water, medicine, um, you know uh, things of this nature. Mr. Torino, were you aware that, according to the authorities, that Manuel had a firearm registered in their name in his possession, in their possession? Were you aware of that? Do you believe that? I I was not aware of that, you know. Um, but I mean, that doesn't, you know, I'm, I have a firearm. I mean, this mm -hmm. is the state of Georgia. Um, it's. So, so I, I wasn't aware of that. that. That's not something that they talked to a lot of people about. That's not something that they seemed to uh, orient themselves around or, or uh, did, didn't play a role in the way that they talked about their time in the forest or anything, um, you know, anything of that nature. I want you to clear up for our listeners because we've gotten questions about this and, and a lot of folks have had questions. There are a lot of groups here who are opposed to the building of this training facility. We've got Defend the Atlanta Forest. We've got stop cop city we've got some other grassroots organizations are y'all working collectively together this is kind of a funny uh funny question that that makes sense you know um there are times when when activi activists or individuals from different groups or different fragments if you will do do work together mm -hmm. um but the question also presupposes a bit of a more formal understanding of what's occurring than is real. You know, I, I would say the movement is more decentralized than maybe some of the listeners are used to thinking of. Um, what do you mean? Well, you know, and any of your listeners um, right now on the show um, could get with a group of four or five people 
and they could get some whistles and megaphones and pots and pans and they could go to the office of a contractor or a general uh, a subcontractor or they could go to the APF office or mm-hmm. anything like this and they could make a press release um, describing their action, you know, asking for companies to boycott the APF or sure. something like that. Um, and that would be a, a that would be essentially coherent with the general rhythm of the movement so far. And that in the news, it would be, oh, domestic terrorists with defend the Atlanta forest have protested outside of AT&T or, or something of that nature, but um, well, more or less that's what's happening, you know, let's talk about that. That's a good point to my a good follow up to my next question, because someone maybe not following the protests may or may not be aware of the nonviolent action done by protesters like what you just mentioned. But listen, let's be really clear what we see and hear about the construction, the, the equipment damage, damage to the buildings, alleged throwing Molotov cocktails, even in this instant where when Torque was killed, alleging, of course, by officials that someone fired first. So what do you say to someone on the outside that says, okay, we're hearing this story, we're hearing this side. If one group within this movement has a more destructive approach as to another group who says we want to protest, but we don't want to do it that way. And can you see all everybody being lumped under the same umbrella as oh they they want they want to be destructive they're tearing up stuff sure yeah no i mean i i understand that i think i think um you know in in general i think that people in the u.s understand the concept of self-defense you know i i i think most people are not um ideologically committed to um to to pacifism but most of us do want peace you know we we want i'm saying us i'm not thinking about the movement i'm thinking about you and me and all of our listeners you know um and i think the extreme majority of activities in the movement have been what would sometimes be described as nonviolent. you know have been a little more than canvassing or or talking to neighbors or doing doing protests and rallies and at times um activists within the movement um have for whatever reason, they have they have determined that that type of intervention is going to be insufficient, and so they've resorted to acts of uh, nonviolent acts of sabotage, mm-hmm. you know, or of um, um, t- very targeted property destruction at times. Um, we're not talking about you know burning people's houses down or 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 anything like this. We're talking about activists have have broken windows at facilities or have or have uh, we're talking about inanimate objects, you know. Um, well, or at times have have also, while police officers are shooting them with pepper balls or with tear gas or whatnot, have thrown those tear gas canisters back or things of this nature. You contend that the act of throwing the Molotov cocktails, and then there's some video that shows that, is in sure. direct response to authorities pepper spraying or or possibly harming protesters first. Is that what you're alleging? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of something that I don't quite, you know, I would not myself engage in. So it's kind of touchy maybe as I'm sure you can understand, but, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, in, in general, people don't take risks like this lightly. They don't, they don't engage in this type of behavior for no reason. And I think, I think, uh, I think people can understand that you don't, you don't just do a random crime like this, um, that comes with quite a heavy sentence if you're caught, um, because it's fun or because it's just like a funny thing. Do you support that type of protest that is rooted in being not disruptive because there's a difference between disruptive and destructive. I want to be very clear and I want to be fair to you in asking this question. Do you support any actions that involved vandalism, throwing things at law enforcement, marching to the Atlanta police foundation, busting out windows. I'm just curious. Do you support that? Hmm. I, I guess I, I understand the nature of your question, and I think I do think it's a fair question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I guess I would start by saying I understand those kinds of actions, you know, and that they come long after people have tried other methods. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the movement is highly practical, and it seems like groups are interested in groups and individuals are interested in trying a number of different things according to um, dynamics on the ground, according to what might work. And I think in the past few years, especially following the, the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, I think we're seeing a bit of, of, a, of a tide shift in the protest culture in the United States, where more and more young people, especially, are willing to, you know, consider using vandalism and, and this kind of uh, approach in protest movements, which, of course, has a long history in the U.S., whether or not I support it personally is like, you know, kind of just a, a question of, of taste or whatnot. You but know? you're part of a group that and I don't I'm not saying defend the Atlanta Forest is supporting sure. that, but you are a part of a group. You want to stop the building. You oppose the building sure. of this training facility and your friend. Was killed. We don't know the circumstances. Of, we have a lot of allegations here. Can right. you understand someone saying now that someone has lost their life, someone that you knew and who you have said was not about being violent, is it time to rethink some of the strategies for those who want that more aggressive, destructive approach to protesting? Is it time to rethink it? How? Sorry, I, I think I'm losing the question there. Is it time to rethink it? Uh, rethink the methods of, of how you all are, or some folks within your organization are protest are protesting the building of this facility. If it's going to be a, if it's going to be with a destructive approach, meaning burning equipment, construction equipment, well, yeah, sure. things of that nature. Sure. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's hard to say because now it's two years in, mm-hmm. um, not an inch of this facility has yet been burned or sorry, has yet been been built. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's hard to say why they have not um, been able to build the facility yet. It's, it's, it'd be impossible to say that um, it's the result of one type of action or some sort of like dogmatic uh, mm-hmm. framing on it would be impossible, especially because there's been such a diversity of approaches, mm-hmm. um, including lawsuit, you know, including things that are quite, quite um, benign by any uh, legal standard. Um, and 
so I, I, I mean, you know, I do think it's very important for, for political actors and activists of all kind to constantly be assessing and reassessing their decisions and their actions according to real falsifiable theses. People should be saying, okay, I think if I do this, this will be the consequence. Mm-hmm. And then they should be capable of saying, okay, well, maybe that wasn't, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, maybe this is how I need to move forward. And, um, you know, I, I think I think one of the strengths of this movement is not is that it's not advanced uh, according to a prescribed model or according to a, a set of tactical tools and conclusions that it just passively inherits from from other movements. You know, have you all talked to the residents in that community, Mr. Torino? Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I'm a resident in that community. So you live um, in that community. How long do you live there? Um, nine years. Nine years. Yeah. What are some? Yeah. Go ahead. You no. had a question. No, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, like with any, um, like with anything, it's a mixed bag of of, of opinions. Mm-hmm. I think there's certain things that uh that are more or less consensus, though. You know, it's no one really wants the park. For instance, uh, speaking of Entrenchment Creek Park, no, you know, no one wants their park taken away. Like, mm-hmm. just I think everyone can understand that you you don't want your park taken away. You don't want a bunch of loud anything happening where you live. I mean, look, we don't have to be talking about Cop City to be talking about that. Mm-hmm. You just don't want loud stuff happening where you're trying to sleep. Um, people don't want um, people don't want like you also don't have to oppose the police to not want like a, a lot of police officers mm-hmm. in your community, um, re- regardless of, of your lifestyle or regardless of anything. It's um, yeah. Let's go back to last Sunday, a week ago, last Sunday, because there was this South River music festival. Yeah. Uh, were you there? Were you, did you go to I the was, festival? I, I did. I was at the festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now at some point, Police allege a group of festival attendees split off from the festival and then vandalized construction equipment. Okay, mm-hmm. now later police officials describe it as using the festival as cover. Now, they are, of course, calling this outside agitators. We talked about that. Right. And part of their evidence, according to them, is 21 of the 23 people arrested last week Sunday are from outside of Georgia. Right. What do you make of that? And do you know these folks? Um, well, first I'll say, no, I, I, fortunately, I, I do not know anyone who was arrested. Um, so uh, yeah, but you know, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. I I think, uh, just so your listeners can imagine too, there, we're talking about over a thousand people at this music festival where this is a real festival. We're talking about, a you know, a real music festival. Um, No, it was one of my, I have someone I know who's a big Faye Webster fan. Uh-huh. And they were wow. all giddy about Faye Webster. I'm a big Faye Webster fan as well. But so yeah, we're talking we're talking about a big crowd, you know, and we had um and 90% of, or I I I guess I can't make a quite judgment, but I'll say most of the people who are at this music festival were there to listen to music mm-hmm. because they support the movement and they're there to have a good time and enjoy enjoy their weekend. It was beautiful weather. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we had on Sunday, on the second day of the music festival. You had several hundred people who departed for a protest mm-hmm. um, of some kind, and you know they engaged in direct action. And 
than at the at the proposed facility, which is a mile away mm-hmm. from where this music festival was happening. I so you call it direct action, but it was vandalism. Can we be clear about that? Can we? Um, sure. If you if you prefer, I mean, I mean, direct action just means any kind of action which does not seek the permission of the authorities. So, so that's um, called vandalism, Mister Torino. Come on now. We can, we can call it vandalism if you want. I I, I don't. I'm not averse to calling it okay. vandalism. Um. Um. In, in any case, the, that group went one mile away. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what happened with that group. You know, they disappeared from the facility. And then one hour later, um, police began essentially just going crazy on the uh, music festival or on, you know, some people in the music festival, mm-hmm. um, tackling people. T- they tased a few people, which I, I hope those people are okay, of course. Um, yeah. And kind of at random, I, it seemed random to me, you know, um, especially you have to imagine a situation where it's, you're just listening to music. It's like Sunday afternoon. And, and then all of a sudden there's all these yeah. cops kind of going crazy. And, you know, and, and I'm wondering, do you think that would have happened had not these other folks splintered off and did what they did? Maybe then the festival, I, do you think the festival would have been, I, you know, we can't read the minds of the police. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do not know. I think sure. certainly they're attempting to push a narrative that's meant to be intentionally divisive. I think that they went for soft targets because they could not get a single person who was among those protesters. Okay. Um, so they went to soft targets to appease the Atlanta Committee for Progress and the Atlanta Police Foundation and all their donors because they have to show that they're doing something. I can imagine that Governor Kemp called in a blind rage saying, "Okay, just arrest some people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in pursuit of their narrative, you know, their narrative that this is a done deal. That's the false narrative they want to push. This is a done deal. The project is going forward. They detained, I think I want to say 36 people, something something of that nature. And uh, I mean, I I do know someone who was detained Mm -hmm. who lives less than a mile from the facility. And you know what they did is they separated everyone on the sidewalk on Constitution Road Mm -hmm. and they took all the people with local addresses and they questioned them and they sent them on their way. Mm -hmm. All the people who do not live in Georgia, they took to Gresham Park for more questioning and ultimately those people were arrested. And now they have domestic terrorism charges. Correct. They have domestic terrorism charges. They they separated out the people who, who are locals. They let them go. They make the press release for their donors to appease to appease the DNC, who they're hoping to court to come to the convention here next year. And they uh, they charge everyone that they do arrest with domestic terrorism mm-hmm. oh. and no other charges. They're not accusing anyone of throwing rocks. They're not accusing anyone of burning equipment. Mm-hmm. They're not accusing anyone of anything other than domestic terrorism, which is kind of like a funny, um, it's like a, it's become a meme on the internet even. It's like a desperate, desperate attempt. I want to play a clip from one of the attorneys this morning. This is from Jeff Phillips. He's one of the attorneys working with Manuel Tehran's family. This is terrifying. People are sitting in the DeKalb County Jail right now who have no factual basis for the charges against them, at least none that have been articulated, simply because they were charged in domestic, with domestic terrorism. None of the people in the jail right now have an allegation that they threw a Molotov cocktail, that they lit a a construction equipment on fire, that they shot off fireworks. None of the allegations we heard were specific to any person. And yet we have 22, 21 people in the DeKalb County Jail denied bond 
This is continuing. This is ongoing. This is intimidation by the state against dissent. And Mr. Torino, I want to be very clear for our listeners, because these folks who were corralled with the other folks that were inside the festival, you don't know if necessarily these were the folks who split off and caused the damage. Do we know that? Do you know that? No, no, I I do not know that, but Mm -hmm. actually there's not even a legal accusation of that. I know that Darren Shearbaum, he had his cute little press conference where he heavily implied that they were, but legally they're not even charging people for doing that. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not even willing to go on paper and say, this person uh, lit, lit a a backhoe on fire Mm -hmm. or whatever. They're not saying that they're saying this person affirmed their belonging to the defend the Atlanta forest movement by having mud on their shoes or whatever. And I want to note for our listeners, because we have been in touch with the city of Atlanta and we've been in touch with the Atlanta police foundation, the Atlanta police foundation had originally agreed to come on this program, but then said they wanted the city of Atlanta and they, APD chief Sharon to take the lead on it. I've been in touch with the city of Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens will be a guest on this program in the next couple of weeks. So I want folks just to know that. Uh, Mr. Torino, as we wrap up, what is the next step for your group that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think uh, that's a good question. You know, there's a lot of possible ways forward. Um, I assume that pressure will continue to build against the 501c3 organization, the APF, which, which for the listeners, if, just to understand what the police foundation is. They're not like a union. They're just a random, any of you could go register a 501c3 sure, and call sure, the Atlanta sure. police foundation. Um, it's just, they're just a random slush fund for um, that. This guy hides behind. Okay. They, so what, what, what is your group's next this, step? That, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Our, our, our next step is, is to continue, I think, um, uh, mobilizing uh, within the community in order to, to show the public that this is not at all a done deal that the APF does not yet have the money. They're still missing $14 million in order to build their their compound where they will, you know, we we need people to know they want to train mostly officers and soldiers from around the world. They told Cadence Bank 43% of the people training there would not be from Georgia. Mm -hmm. Those are the real outside agitators. And we need local community support to come together to say no to Cop City, um, we need people protesting. We need people mobilizing and canvassing. And we're, we're going to show the city uh, that, you know, we know this is not a done deal. We know okay. Andre Dickens can pull the plug and we intend to see that okay. through. And you, you just said you want people to canvass and protest. Mm-hmm. But again, I want to be very clear when it comes to that protesting approach. Sure. Can, are you in favor? Would you advocate more for one that does not involved any type of destruction you you know personally i advocate for for methods that allow small groups of everyday people to exert the leverage that they're comfortable exerting i i personally i i'm more of the the you know go yell in an atrium with a megaphone type of guy you know um, and, and that's what I would like to see more of that. You know, I would like to see more people going to the press conferences, going to the board of directors meetings, going, uh, you know, organizing with students. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- this is, this is more, I think the direction the movement is, is tending actually overall to go into. And, and 
I just want want everyday people to know they don't need an invitation. They don't need they okay. don't need to go to an assembly. Paul Torino, one of the organizers would defend the Atlanta Force, part of a bigger stop, as they call it, stop Cop City Coalition. Mr. Torino, thank you so much for taking the time, answering the questions. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the air. Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Fitzgerald is a small city in South Georgia with a population of about 9,000 folks. Now, some people go there for the bird watching, but this week birds won't be the only thing in the sky. That's because skydivers are converging upon Fitzgerald to break multiple state records, including a tandem jump for skydivers over the age of 60. How cool is that? Joining me now is one of the Houston based organizers who's been skydiving for more than 50 years, Rick. Poplinger joins Closer Look. Rick, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I've uh, I've always wanted to be famous, so here I am. <laughs> 50 years but, of skydiving. Wow. That's what's up. That was before you were born. Well, right? I appreciate that. <laughs> By the way, I understand that for doing this interview, you've decided to come out and make a skydive too. Is that correct? That is, that's fake news, sir. I'm just here <laughs> to tell you. I don't know who told you that. I will cheer you all on from afar. Wow. Well, let me just back up. So what first, I mean, were you scared the first time you were, you were a young and as they say, what first inspired you to jump and why have you been doing this for so long? Well, that's a great question. I actually, when I was only seven years old, there was a program on TV on our little black and white TV yeah. called Ripcord. It was about two skydivers that would jump out, land and save the day. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever saw a parachute. And right then and there, I thought, I want to do that. Wow. And I started putting money back from my allowance. And when I got to college, there was a team and I broke open that piggy bank and went and made my first jump, which was, by the way, the first time I'd ever, ever stepped foot in an airplane. Wow. Let's talk about this, what's going to happen in Fitzgerald, because there's there's a state record, obviously. So what state records are, are folks trying to break beat this year? OK, so. What we're doing is uh, twofold. There's going to be a group of women that will try to break the largest formation with only women. Mm -hmm. Also, there are specific age groups like SOS, skydivers over 60, and 60 indicates the age, not necessarily the IQ. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a group called JOS, jumpers over 70, and that's 70 years of age. And so we have groups from both SOS, the 60-year-olds, and JOS, the 70-year-olds, that will try to make two sets of records. The first one being just the largest formation. Mm -hmm. And the second one is uh, formation. So they'll go from one formation to a second. It's a sequential record. Okay. And we'll try to do as many sequences as possible. And each one will be an additional record. Because often I think um, I've seen, usually it's a circle, but there are, are there many formations you can actually do while you're, while you're out up there? Really? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Just think of a, of a snowflake. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll try different formations of that nature. Just doing a circle is a little mundane. We we get pretty creative with our different formations. Oh, it, so a circle is just eh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Those circle people, eh. 
uh, as a listener just sent me an email, go Rose, you can do it, jump. No. So they're encouraging you, huh? What do they know? Uh, <laughs> Have a what, few drinks, come on. <laughs> uh, this is, this is um, first of all, so you, just so I'm clear, you're going to be part of that tandem Okay, so there are also tandem events. Now, tandem is for brand new jumpers, people mm-hmm. just from the uh, general population that want to go and experience a skydive. And they're actually tethered to a very, very experienced skydiver and okay. just basically go along for the ride. And even on landing, they're asked to pick up their feet. The tandem instructor lands and then you put your feet down so you don't have worries about hurting your legs or anything. And that's going to be offered at the Fitz Boogie this weekend. So I'd encourage everybody to come out. The fits I also organized, by the way, for a group called Skydive Spaceland here mm-hmm. in Houston, but they have a uh, drop zone in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So you can always go to Skydive Spaceland and make a, a, a skydive if you can't make it out this weekend. I, I imagine for a lot of folks who find this exciting and, and exhilarating and the question is, I would love to try it. And obviously there is a, there's a fear factor here. One being, you know what? It, it, it's in the sky. I'm jumping out of a plane. What do you want to offer those folks? I mean, this is obviously up to every in, individual, but you know, what do you want to offer them if just to give them a little encouraged, even if they want to try it, maybe start indoor first or. Well, there's all, all obviously the uh, indoor skydiving, which is fun. Uh, but in every adventure, there's a degree of fear mm-hmm. and uh, it's something that is surmountable. And when you're tethered to someone that has a lot of experience and you're just going along for the ride, it it gives a lot of, um, it takes a, away a lot of the fear. Mm-hmm. It uh, is something that you don't have to worry about no knowledge or doing the right thing. You just go along for the ride and they take care of you. Mm-hmm. And I find that uh, I like to sit out on the drop zone and just watch the new tandem jumpers land because they're mm-hmm. so ecstatic and they love it so much. And they only say that the only time I actually felt fair was the initial exit. Mm-hmm. But after that, it was like, just riding in a car. Just riding in a car. Right. For folks who are listening who say, well, you know, Rick, are there any, should I be concerned if maybe I have a certain medical condition or, and obviously we want them to check with their primary care physician, but even with folks that might have limited mobility, because this is this pretty much, if you even, even if you have limited mobility, you can do this because well, not not just that, but we at our drop zone have actually taken quadriplegics and paraplegics. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a special harness that has Velcro to keep their appendages uh, uh, close to us. Mm-hmm. And um, we work, we've, we've had people that were not sighted jump, um, just pretty much every malady. They've come out to enjoy life. Um, in fact, I'm working with another group uh, in uh Every year we do this where we provide free tandem jumps to cancer survivors. Mm. Ah. Rick, I also have a question from a listener who says, I want to do this. I, I want to. Is there a weight requirement? Um, the listener says, I feel like I need to lose weight. What's your response uh, that's, to that? That's actually a great question. Um, pretty much our cutoff is 250 pounds. We can go up to about 280. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would have to have the tandem structure that could handle someone that big. But yes, there is a, a, a weight requirement. How excited are you for, for what do you call it, the Fitz Boogie? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm very excited. It's a great group of organizers. The townspeople are delightful. Um, a lot of support from them. Uh, I think there's going to be hot air balloons and helicopters out there. People can uh, get involved with that. 
And uh, it's just a small town environment that makes you feel good. So come and, on out. And you have held, or you currently either held or you hold 15 world records here in skydives. Uh, yes, but they are age specific, like with the SOS or a parachute that's over 40. Or it, You still got world records. That is awesome. And Rick, you've jumped from the pyramids in Egypt. Now, is that allowed? Are you supposed to be doing that? Okay, no, let me verify this. I didn't jump from the pyramids. I jumped over the pyramids. <laughs> um, I'm I'm hired to organize in other countries as well. And um, I'm about to do my third trip in uh, October mm -hmm. to organize jumps over the pyramids, which is wow. pretty phenomenal. I was also, less than a year ago, I was brought into Israel to help them set their national record. And we jumped over mm -hmm. uh, the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point in the world. Mm -hmm. Rick, let me ask you, what goes into deciding what's a, a safe, first of all, a safe, and at the same time, you know, challenging jump? What, what do you well, use? What, what's the metrics involved? You say, well, look, you know, here we've got a lot of desert, so it'd be clear we be, when we have our drop zone, we don't have to worry about getting caught up in a tree. I mean, what do you use to determine, hey, this is something that we should try here? Well, first of all, you do have to have an open area. Yeah. Uh, it's not... Uh, good to jump into a housing development <laughs> no and we don't encourage people to do that there you go um we have to be concerned about air traffic mm -hmm. uh we can't be in the way of a major airline uh or there are other smaller factors of that nature but we do uh such as the pyramids they they make sure that there is uh crowd control mm -hmm. And they keep it as an open area while we're jumping. So there won't be any issues with landing on spectators and, and people going through that area. And Rick, as we begin to wrap up, to your knowledge, what is the the oldest age you've known someone to to do skydiving? I remember uh, I, former President George Bush, I think, did it on his, was it 80th or 88th birthday, something like that? I can't remember, but... Well, I don't know what his age was, but there is, you know, I talked about SOS and mm -hmm. Joe's or John's. There's Joe's jumpers over 80 and John's jumpers over 90. And I have a very close friend that uh, is an active skydiver. And on his 90th birthday, he made nine jumps. Wow. Nine? Nine jumps, right. Okay. Maybe I should try this then because. Uh, we'll see you this weekend then at the well, Fitz Well, now, now let, let's, let's take it slow there, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> if people want information, they can go to the fitzboogie.com, F-I-T-Z-Boogie.com, one word. And uh, there will be a lot of people signing up for their first jump, tandem jump. And uh, how long do you want to keep doing this till you're 90? Um, good question. Uh, it sometimes depends on our, uh, you know, physical ability. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because we feel like we're one of the kids when we're out there jumping with all the youngsters. But I noticed that at the end of the day, they go out partying into the bars and we go home and take an Epsom salt bath and grab the Ben Gay. But well, that would be me too now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I plan, I still, I have no um, thoughts of quitting. I'm just going to yeah. keep going until my body says stop or uh, I find another adventure. And I think that's quite all right. Rick, Poplinger, thank you so much for taking the time with Houston-based organizers for this weekend's Fitz Boogie in, in Fitz, Fitzgerald, Georgia. Best of luck to you all. Hope you break those records. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you so much, Rose. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Take care now. Take care. Bye.
And best of luck to all of the skydivers this weekend. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Daniel Razel and LaShawn Hudson. Our supervising producer is Tiffany Griffith. Our engineer is Sawyer Vanderwerth. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org, as always. And, of course, if you missed any of this show, it's online. It will be online at wabe.org slash closer look. And, of course, our rebroadcast at 7 p.m. tonight and, of course, our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.